Everybody, welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you all, and good to be here. Uh, this is a wonderful night. Oh, I think so anyway. And uh, we've gathered to not only study the Bible, but hear from God, see what He has to say. All that kind of works together, but uh, just to open ourselves to His voice and what He might want to reveal tonight. Uh, a lot of times, there's things. That even as I'm teaching, there's a passage, you're reading, you're reading ahead, you're reading behind something, God says something, uh, or speaks something, or shows you something. So just be open to what God may be saying, and what He might want to do in your life. And let's participate in that process of change in our own lives. Let's take a moment, we'll pray, and ask God's blessing on our time as we move forward. Father, thanks for... Uh, just being here, we've gathered in the name of Jesus, uh, we welcome you into our midst, and we ask you to have your way. We thank you for your Holy Spirit tonight, and we ask that He would teach us. Uh, we call on Him, we ask Him to teach us tonight, to reveal and to bring truth into our lives. For God, we ask you for truth tonight, we ask you that you would open up uh, your truth, open up your reality. Open up, Lord God, our eyes to see what is real and what matters to you. So God, tonight I pray that you would lead us, guide us. I pray that we would have just that openness in our hearts and our spirit tonight to receive of you. Uh, I rebuke fear in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, a, a real peace and a real joy tonight to receive of you and to not only acknowledge your presence, but actually dwell in your presence. So have your way, God. We give this time to you. We ask that you be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If uh, you have your Bibles, uh, or if you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. But we're going to open up to First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10 is where we're heading tonight, and as you're turning there, just a quick reminder that we have an interactive feature during Bible study, and for Bible study, it's through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word, and you go to that website, and there's a button there that you can toggle. And leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you, whether it's just a hello or it's a question. It could be a comment. It could be something good that God's doing in your life. It could be you just letting us know you're listening. We'd just love to hear from you and love to hear uh, anything you'd like to say to us. We'll endeavor to play that during our Bible study. So www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. And we look forward to that. First Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6. Somebody read that for us, please. All right, thanks. Uh, actually, uh, a powerful verse for me personally. I... Uh, I had uh, read this a long time ago when I was first a new Christian, and it gave me a lot of hope, because I looked at what Samuel was saying to Saul, of all people, and uh, there was something that was connecting in my brain as I read this, and I'll just share with you what connected in my brain, and maybe that'll make some sense to you. Maybe not, but, and we'll go dive deeper into this verse as we go through tonight, but what connected in my brain the first time I read it 
was uh, the difference between or the continuation of the idea that something that could be a ceremony, something that could be a formality, something that could be just something that we go through could actually have meaning in our lives. And the reason I was thinking that way back then was because I was struggling. I was struggling with going to church. I was a part of a, a campus group, and then I started a campus group, and there's just something about campus ministry or any kind of parachurch ministry that's, that's fairly dynamic. And, and so what I was experiencing was a real dynamic right where I was going to school. In other words, teachings were dynamic, worship was dynamic, the move of the Spirit was dynamic, uh, we were sharing life together, we were praying together. We'd see each other, like walking around, and we'd stop each other to pray. Uh, we, had, we set up book tables, we did evangelism. We were just always about it, always getting something done, always doing something. And it just seemed like God was just consistently moving and moving and moving and moving, and things were really fast-paced. Well, then I contrasted that, and there is a contrast to that when I go to church. Because I'd go to church, and even though the church was spirit-filled, and even though the people there, you know, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit or whatever, it just seemed like things were moving at the speed of dark, you know? If they were moving at the speed of light on campus, they were moving at the speed of dark at church. And so we try to get something done, like, hey, you think we could, uh, uh, you know, get some money to go to this conference that we want to go to? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll bring that up at the next board meeting. When's that? End of the month. I mean, that's like, you know what, 30 days later from when I'm asking? I'm like, yeah, well, the conference is over by then, so never mind. Thank you. But that was kind of the normal way of doing things. It's like, and you know that. You understand if you're part of an organization, you put in a request for something. How long does it take? A long time. Right. You put in a requisition for something. And it has to go through the proper chain of command. It has to have the right signatures and the right initials on it. Once it has all that stuff on it, it goes over to somebody, who knows who, and then they have to look at it, and they send it over to requisitions, and they have to look at it, and then it goes through budget, and then the budget looks at it, and then somebody says, okay, well, what we can do is we can do about half of this, so let's kick that back and let's see how that looks. So it goes all the way back to the chain of command, comes back, say, oh, they can do about half of it. Well, half is better than none. Okay. All right. Initial here. Through the chain of command again. It gets out there. It's like, all right, well, and whatever. And it might take however long it takes. But there's something distinctly not dynamic about that. And there's not. And it, there's something really formal about it. And not to mention that you know, I had to wear a suit on Sundays with a tie. <sighs> And and I had and I remember one time I was standing back because I I had uh, graduated to go sit on the platform at some point and in these churches you had a platform that was raised up a couple feet above everybody else and people would sit in velvet covered chairs on the platform and so I graduated at some point so I could sit on the platform and that just meant that I got to run the overhead projector all right. <laughs> Because that was how we had, used to have our songs, was on an overhead projector. And so we'd be singing the songs, and I'd get to do the overheads while we were singing the songs. Yeah, living, L-I-V-I-N, right there, all right? And every now and then i get a chance I could come up and pray for the offering. You know, because they would have an offering, and then you got to pray over the offering, and then the ushers would come, and then they would distribute the plates, and they'd bring the plates back up, and and you might sing a special song while they're bringing the plates back up, and they put the plates down, and then you pray over it, and God bless it, and multiply, whatever, whatever. And every now and then, I got to do the announcements too. But that, that was in addition to all my other jobs that weren't on the platform where I got to do the church bulletin, you know, on a on a mimeograph machine. And if you know what that is, you're old, all right? But that's what we had. We didn't have a copy machine. We had a mimeograph machine. Yeah. It's a yeah yeah, but it's not as good as that. See, at, at, at Fredonia, we had one at the college. We had one where you could type it, what looked like you type it on a regular sheet of paper. 
and then you just stick it on there and it, it runs it for you. This thing wasn't like that. You actually typed it out and it like it went through this plastic material. And if you made a mistake, you had to start all over again because there's no correcting it. Well, I mean, there wasn't any correcting it on that. So you start all over again, and then you'd have to hand, you'd have to crank it out. All right, all the bulletins, you're cranking them out, man. And so I did that. I did. I did. I called in the. Uh, Newspaper, we didn't add the newspaper, I did that, and um, I was, oh, yeah, yeah, I was a church janitor, I was a church janitor, like one person cleaned the church every week, me, me, and I even got in trouble doing that because I was playing my music on Saturday when I'm cleaning the church and nobody's there and I still got in trouble for it. Somebody showed up to drop something off and heard it. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, well, Jesus knew the whole time. So, so all this stuff, you know, all right, so, so I'm stuck, well, bad word, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to serve in these two contrasting types of ministry. And on one hand, I had this slow-moving organizational behemoth, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, it's just it's one of those things. And then the other, I had this, Really fast-paced, dynamic, getting something done all the time, God's moving kind of thing that I was a part of. And and through this passage here, God reminded me, or God taught me, so He didn't remind me, He taught me something through this. And that was that Samuel, he had, he had, uh, he's going to anoint Saul to be king. Alright? That's what Samuel's doing. But, that anointing could be just this dry thing. It's like, all right, well, we'll put some oil on your head. We'll pour a flask of oil over your head, and now you're the king. But there was more to it than that. It wasn't just a ceremony. Because what Samuel described to Saul here, and he made this statement, and the statement was so fascinating to me. He's like, you're going to get among these prophets, and you're going to start to prophesy. And when you do that, you're going to be a different person. A different person. And that was fascinating to me. That his touching and his participation and and him allowing for the Spirit of God to flow through him would produce such a thing in his life that he would be a different person from that moment on. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And so I was really fascinated by that. And God taught me something with that, is that in the midst of all of the stuff that I hate, honestly, the stuff I hate, all of the the logistical and boring and takes-forever kind of stuff that needed to happen, and I know that's weird coming from me because I run an organization, right? Sort of. But I don't like it. And, and, but in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit was teaching me, the Word of God was teaching me that there's a dynamic to it that's real. That it's not just make work, and it's not just you know, so it's not just boring. It's not just these things. But God uses sometimes uses the things that are formal. Are the things that have are are some kind of a ritual or whatever? God uses those things in order to accomplish His purposes in our lives, and the dynamic that's associated with it, we can end up being a whole different person. And that's why you see us do certain things, because like, I believe it. Because that's why we ordain people. That's why we license people in the ministry. That's why we perform marriage ceremonies. Not only does our society expect that we do that, which we do, but I really believe something can happen. That's why we have baptisms. I don't, I don't baptize anybody thinking we're just going through the motions. I really believe something can happen during water baptism. And I expect something to happen during water baptism. And I tell everybody I baptize, expect something to happen. Revelation, understanding, something. Eyes to be open, ears to be open, something to happen. Let's believe it together. 
Because I really do believe that. I believe that as people step back and have communion during our services, that's why it's available. Sometimes we, we have that together, but I really believe that people get healed when they receive that. I really do. I really believe that people are set free and people are delivered when they have that. I do. And so I'm saying all this because I want you to understand that I believe that there's supernatural things associated sometimes with those kind of things. And that's all right. But we need to have some kind of an expectation of that. And so I look at this passage, I look at Samuel, and he's saying to Saul, is like, well, you'll be a different person. A whole different person. I'll look at that a little more in just a second. Now, we're talking about an anointing here. And the reason it's important for us to think in terms of the anointing, because that is what we're, we're talking about, is because Jesus' last name is what? That's right. No. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really, but, but you know, if you refer to Jesus Christ, well, Christ simply means Jesus the anointed one. Okay, so Christ is the anointed one. And it distinguishes him from other Jesuses. Because there were other Jesuses around. In fact, there's other Jesuses in the Bible. And if you go back and you look in the Old Testament, Joshua, who we looked at, and we went through the book of Joshua, that's the same exact name. Joshua, Jesus. Same name. Kind of like Jesus, Jesus. Right? Same name. If you ever look at it, I know they say it differently, but it's the same name. So, Jesus. Now, in the English language, uh, in English-speaking countries, we don't name our children Jesus. But we do name our children Joshua. Same name. Same name. And so, whatever. But the idea was is that it was a common name. And it was a common name. And so, you might run into a few different Jesuses. And there were other Jesuses mentioned in the New Testament. Joshua's in the Old Testament. Okay? So, Jesus... Uh, you run into a Jesus. Well, which Jesus is this? Well, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, well, so he's a Jesus from Nazareth. You think there was more than one Jesus from Nazareth? Yes, there was more than one Jesus from Nazareth. Right? So, as his ministry went forward, and I'm talking about once he got into his ministry, he, you know, he was known before that uh, as Jesus the son of Joseph. Right? Jesus the son of Joseph. So, the carpenter's son. So, everybody knew who he was. Like, if you're in Nazareth, say, oh, I'm looking for Jesus... He's the son of a guy named Joseph who's a carver. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They live over there. Because people know who he was. So, but as he moved through his ministry, and as his ministry began to expand, he became known, and it was understood, that he was Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Anointed One. Now, why was that important? It must have been, and I want you to think about this for a second, just let this sink in a little bit. His anointing, his anointing distinguished him somehow. Enough that no one was confused when they would say Jesus Christ. So he had been distinguished by his anointing. Now, let's go to, um, and this is a common verse, I use it all the time, but Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38. Something happened with Jesus. And this is referring back to his baptism. Go, go back to his baptism. Now, who was he baptized by? John. John the Baptist. Okay, that makes sense. All right, his cousin, John the Baptist, baptized him. And when he was baptized, you remember what happened? He came up out of the water and? There, there, there are three different, there's two different things that happen. He comes up out of the water and there's a voice. The voice of the Father, this is my son, I'm well pleased, blah, blah, blah. Alright, so, good. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form, looked like a dove, and came upon him. And so this is one passage in the Bible, in case you ever need this, you can pull this right out of your back pocket, alright? One passage in the Bible where you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in the same place at the same time. 
All right? You can pull that right out of your pocket if you run into a Jesus-only person. Because there are people that are Jesus-only where they look at God as being in different modes. So He's the Father, and then, then, then He was the Son, and now He's the Holy Spirit. And they see Him in different modes and stuff, but they don't see Him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, this is one passage where you see them all together. Okay? It's hard to get around it, too. Yeah, do a little bit of a gymnastic to get around that one. So let them worry about that. You've got it. Okay? Pull that one right out. Bang! Here it is. And so he was anointed of the Holy Spirit. So somebody read Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. All right. So he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and what? Power. All right, I'm going to make a distinct that this is a distinguishing characteristic here: the Holy Spirit and power. Not just the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit and power. Remember that part, because something happened to him. Something really happened to him. Something took place in his life in that moment that changed him and launched him into his ministry. Now, he may have been a pretty good carpenter. I have no idea. No idea. He might have been the model son. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. We don't have that. We have one incident from when he was 12 or something, when they were in Jerusalem, and, and he stayed back, and his parents left without him to head home, and they had to go back and get him. Alright, that's what we know about him in his childhood, in his young adolescence. That's, that's it. So, you've got to fast forward all the way to 30 years old. I was a boom! He's anointed of the Holy Spirit. From that moment on, something changed in him. Something. Because he was driven into the wilderness, he was tempted of the devil, he came out of the wilderness, and he, and, and game on. Game on. Started healing people. He started casting demons out of people. Started raising the dead. He was teaching people. Yeah, I mean, all it just game on three years. All right. He he, he poured his life into twelve guys. Eleven of them survived, and then they went on, and the whole world changed from that moment on. All right. They can say B C E all they want, or C E or however they want to change it. It's still B.C. and A.D., all right? As far as I'm concerned. Because I'm old enough, I can get away with that. But that's what it is. And it changed history forever. But something changed in that moment for him. The Holy Spirit and with power. Then that power was manifest everywhere. Now this verse... And those of you that don't know the story behind why I use this verse all the time was from Sunday school, Sunday school class. Because uh, I was in Sunday school class, and the question was asked, how did Jesus do the miracles he did? And everybody's like, because he's God. <laughs> and this one old guy, like eight, he's like, he was like 800 years old. From the moment I knew him, 20 years later, he's still 800 years old. He raised his 800-year-old hand, and you don't ignore an 800-year-old hand. Yes, Brother Boss. That was his name, too, Brother Boss. Ed Boss. Church treasurer for over 40 years. Brother Boss, yes. And he said, Acts 10.38, or however he said it in his 800-year-old voice, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And that was the end of the discussion. He answered the question. How did Jesus do all the miracles he did? By the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. I did it. And that 
also rocked my world. So we come down to what Samuel says to Saul. He says, you will become. And that word become means to come into existence. That's what the word become means. He says, you will come into existence as a different person. And that is a remarkable expression that Samuel used with Saul because nowhere else in the scriptures is that expression used. It's unique to this moment. Unique to Samuel and unique to Saul. You will become a different person. And by that he meant that suddenly Saul would be endowed with a different spirit that he would be filled with the skills of the divine. What do I mean by that? I mean he's going to be filled with courage and wisdom and generosity and wisdom somehow. And some of the the commentators that I read when I was looking this passage up, they said that he would become magnanimous. Magnanimous! Anybody know what magnanimous means? You can take a guess. I don't care. Yeah. Overly. Yeah, yeah. Magnanimous means showing kindness, showing kindness, forgiveness, overlooking insults, being great of heart, noble of soul, and unselfish. That's magnanimous. And so, what was endowed upon Saul was that he was going to be a different person. And that does indicate he wasn't this kind of person to start with. Because <laughs> remember, last week we were talking about Saul. What was, he, what was his sole concern last week? Donkeys. That's it. Yeah, he was worried about his donkeys. And Samuel was offering him so much more, but what did he have in his head? Donkeys. Well, you can come be my guest at the feast tonight, donkeys. Well, well, you know, you can stay with me overnight and be my guest and, and let me share some life with you. Great, donkeys. That's all I care about, donkeys. And so all of a sudden, Samuel's looking at him and like, well, you're going to become a different person than this. In other words, you're going to, a different person is going to come into existence. This is a remarkable, remarkable expression used. And that he would be endowed with a different spirit. He would be filled with the skills in the divine. What did I say that was? Courage and wisdom and generosity. And I used another word there. Anybody remember what it was? Besides magnanimous? Energy. 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 Because there's something, and I want you to think about this, one of the things, one of the things that separates people that are going to do something in this world and people that aren't is energy. Is, is their willingness to expend whatever it takes to get it done. And that's what separates people. At least one of the things that separates people is the amount of energy they're willing and able to to expend. And you think about anybody you know that gets somewhere in life. What's a, what's a characteristic of those people? I mean, think about it for a second. They're go-getters, right? They're energetic. They're going to get it done. And so, we, I, I throw that in with the skills of the divine. Because if God's one thing, man, He's energy. He's energy. And that's why he has a day that he designates to rest. Because he's not resting the other days. <laughs> Does that make sense to everybody? <laughs> that, that he is going about the business that he's going about. 
He's going about creation. He's going about ruling and reigning. He's going about whatever stuff God does. He does it. He does it. He does it. He does it. And we have the creation story as our first example of this. He creates all these things. He gets to the the seventh day and it says, then He rested. In contrast to what He was doing the other six days. His work what he was putting energy into, what he was creating, what he was doing, what he was making. It's all good. It's all good. And why they were basically saying to Saul, what Samuel was saying to Saul, is that you will be far superior to what you previously were. I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that. You will be far superior to what you previously were. And what was he before? Donkeys. Yeah, donkeys. Wasn't he hiding in the luggage at one point? Yeah, well, when they when he was supposed to be introduced as a new king of Israel, he was hiding in the luggage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a go-getter. So, the Spirit of God changes and transforms us. But it's the Spirit of God with power. Alright, somebody look at Acts 1.8. Acts Alright, so you got Jesus telling these people, it's like, alright, Holy Spirit's going to come on you. Now, he's talking about the day of Pentecost. But the Holy Spirit is going to come on you with power. Now, what's going to happen? Well, he prophesies what's going to happen. You will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, in other words, what he's saying is this power is going to be so big, it's going to be so powerful that 120 of you that is going to receive this power are going to go out, you're going to be witnesses of Jesus across the whole face of the earth. You're going to change the earth. You're going to change the world. 120 of you. That's how big a power is going to come on you on the day of Pentecost. And you want them to understand that. Now, I want to say this, and I, and I don't want to take away from anything, but I want you to understand this. Now, Jesus had breathed into the disciples. He had breathed into 11 of those guys in, in John 20, 20, if you want to read there, that he had found them locked in a room, okay? After his crucifixion, he rose from the dead. He appeared to them. After the crucifixion, they're locked in a room for fear of the Jews. They're afraid they're going to get killed. And so they're hiding out. He appears to them, and the Bible says he breathed into them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. What's missing from that? Power. And so they breathed into them the Holy Spirit, and he said, Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. And he gave them a certain right through that of forgiveness and retention of sins in one another's lives. Powerful, but not power. Not power in the way that we're we're going to understand it tonight. That's not what he was doing there. So it's possible, and this is a big mistake that people make. They get saved, and there's enough Bible that that they know, okay, well, you know, I did receive the Holy Spirit when I was saved. Yeah, you did. Good for you. That don't mean you received the Holy Spirit in power. That means you received the Holy Spirit. Well, you're telling me there's different degrees? I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to define it. I'm just going to tell you that you didn't receive the Holy Spirit in power. How do I know that? Because I don't see any power. There was something about, and there's something about when they received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, power was released on them, and they went out and they started doing stuff that they had never done before. They started preaching like they had never preached before. They started doing miracles that they had never done before. God was working through them. 
And, I mean, even extraordinary miracles are being done. Peter's shadow was healing people as he walked by. Just his shadow being cast on somebody and they were being healed. You had a distinguishing characteristic that happened on the day of Pentecost that was something that none of them had ever seen before or ever experienced before is that every single one of them began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance and people responded. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. And throughout the book of Acts, you see something happening in people's lives when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. There was something visible, something that was evidence of it. Because they weren't just accepting, oh, I prayed for you, so it's all good. Because it might be all good, who knows? They weren't accepting that, though. It wasn't good enough. When Philip was praying over people and he was praying for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with power, it wasn't happening. How did he know? Because he didn't see something. He didn't experience something that had happened to him or he'd seen happening before. And so he called the apostle. He said, come on out. Lay your hands on these people. I want them to receive like we received. So the apostles came on out. And so the Bible tells us the story about it and how the apostles came to lay hands on people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit with power to the point that people standing there could see and there was some kind of physical evidence that they were being filled with power and the Holy Spirit to the point a guy offered them money to give him the same power in order to do that. It wasn't just some idea. It wasn't some philosophy. It wasn't just somebody saying, oh, yeah, well, this is what we believe happened. No, something was actually happening. And any time that actuality is described in the book of Acts, the, the, what actually was happening, any time it's specifically described, they were speaking in tongues. Every time. Every time. They would speak in tongues and prophesy. But speaking in tongues was that physical evidence that it was happening. And I know, man, people, they don't like that. They don't like me saying that. They get upset. Uh, don't get upset. Don't get upset with that. Just receive. Don't get upset about it, but just receive. And let that power flow through you. Let that power be evidence in your life. Because God wants to pour out His Spirit with power. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about how that God wants to transform your mind. He wants to transform the way you think. He wants to transform the way that you go about your life, the way that you see things. And the way He's going to do that is by His Holy Spirit and power. That's how it's going to happen. And so, as Samuel continued to describe to Saul, back, you know, back in 1 Samuel 10, he kept describing this thing. He's like, well, what's going to happen is that the Spirit of God will rush upon you. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Your Bible might say He'll come upon you or whatever. It's rush upon you, or, or it could be translated in the Hebrew as leap upon you. So the Holy Spirit, he says, this way he says to Saul, the Holy Spirit is going to leap upon you, is going to rush upon you, and the Holy Spirit is going to overpower you. That's why he describes it to him. You will be overpowered by the Holy Spirit. Tell me that speaking in tongues doesn't make sense. Tell me. That doesn't make sense. That, that the idea behind the Holy Spirit leaping upon us, the idea of the Holy Spirit overpowering us, the idea of the Holy Spirit rushing upon us, is that we do something that we have no physical way of doing. Because it's part of what God intended. It's part of what He intended from the very beginning. It's part of what the Word actually means. So we begin to do something we've never done before. We begin to express ourselves in ways we've never expressed before. And there should be more than that. That's just the initial evidence. I mean, there should be healings. There should be deliverance. There should be prophecy. All those things should come forth. But there needs to be something that we just have never done. There needs to be something that is completely foreign. 
There needs to be something that makes no sense to our natural mind because it isn't an action of our natural mind. It's an action of the Holy Spirit leaping upon us and rushing upon us and overpowering us. And it's more than just resting on us. Alright? And we can talk about this days after days, weeks after weeks, months after months, but the Holy Spirit resting on us is not what He's talking about here. This is an overpowering, leaping, powerful moment where the Holy Spirit will leap upon us and overpower us, will rush upon us. And the picture, like I tell you, the Bible's word pictures, well, the word picture of this is like fire when it breaks out and spreads. If you've ever seen that, when fire just breaks out and just spreads all over the place, that's the picture of it. There's no stopping that. There's not. You can have the biggest fire truck you want with the biggest hose on it. When that fire breaks out and it begins to spread, there ain't no stopping it. Even if you're prepared for it, you might be able to contain it a little bit, but you can't stop it. Fire is powerful. And that's why the picture is so relevant. Is that fire just breaks out and spreads and goes where it's going to go. And go where it's going to go in us and through us. So I look at Amos 5 6. Amos 5 6. I had you read that is that you, it's the same kind of a picture. That's a negative picture. What we're looking at is a positive picture. But the same idea of how God it will just break forth and sweep through. And there's no stopping it. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. There's just no stopping that kind of thing. That's power. It's power. Anybody here ever seen a fire engulf a house? You have, because you're in the fire department. Anybody else ever see that? Well, no, but there's something really fascinating about it, I think. You don't want to be in it, I mean, obviously. But there's something really fascinating about that, or a car even. Like when a fire engulfs a car, well, it melts the metal. And you see magnesium, and you see all these metals that, that are different colors, and you can see them just melting and burning in the, in the car. Yeah, I've seen my share of cars on fire and houses on fire. Because I worked rehab, you know, for the fire department for years and our ambulance service worked rehab for the fire department. And just watching it. You just stay out of the way, man. I mean, the fire department has their job and, and, you know, they're protecting the houses and property and everything and, you know, they save people and all that. I'm not saying that, but, I mean, there comes a point a lot of times where, you're kind of helpless as you're watching it happen. Everybody does their job, but you're still pretty helpless. And there's something really fascinating about it. I mean, in a smaller way, you've been at campfires, right? Yeah. And there's something fascinating about fire when it breaks out. There's something fascinating about fire. We, we love to watch fire as human beings. We've been genetically pre-programmed to sit there and watch it for hours. Yeah. Yeah, you, I mean, and if you've ever done that, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, that's fascinating. Well, God, that's the word picture we have of His Holy Spirit just breaking out. And there's no containing. None. I want that. I want that. I want that in my life more. Now, somebody asked me my story the other day about when I got saved and I was just sharing a little bit about by myself laying in a dorm room bed and just asking God to come into my life and how as I asked Him to come into my life He, he just filled me with the Holy Spirit and with power and 
I began to speak in tongues. And I'd never heard anybody speak in tongues before. I didn't even know it was a thing or not a thing or whatever you believe. And people have tried to convince me that it's not a thing. How are you going to convince me it's not a thing? I was just laying there asking Jesus into my life and was filled with the Holy Spirit and power and I started speaking in tongues. Didn't nobody coaching me, nobody telling me, nobody saying anything to start speaking in tongues. Been speaking in tongues ever since. Not only was I speaking in tongues that night, I was interpreting my own tongues. And I was laying in bed. I even knew I'd interpret what I was saying. Yeah, there's no convincing me otherwise. He was saying, well, yeah, I don't, I don't really do that. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. You should. You know, I mean, Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. But the implication of that was that they should all speak in tongues. There wasn't any ifs, ands, or buts about it. None. It was, expect, it was expected. You're, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit with power. You're going to speak in tongues, and that's it. That was the expectation. And so, the teachings on it, I mean, people try to twist teachings on it and everything else, but the bottom line was Paul spoke in tongues more than everybody. And he would, that, that it, and he's, thank God he did. And so, I, I, I'm a firm believer in all those things. Firm believer. And I, I'm not convinced otherwise. And people share their, you know, I had a guy that uh, I started a church with a number of years ago, and he would tell me all about his philosophical ideas about all those kind of things. And, you know, tell me all about it, buddy. I don't care. Well, what do you think? I think tongues is the initial physical office of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, brother. That's what I think. Well, what about everything I just said? Yeah, good, whatever. I got an experience. I, I have a I have a reality to my life that is, that's what it is. So you you can believe what you want. Nobody told me that ahead of time. It's just what it is. It was later on I aligned myself with the theology that said that. Why? Because that's what I experienced. And you know what's funny about that theology? That's what they experienced too, and that's why they wrote it down. It wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, well, this is the way it should happen because uh, this was our, uh, uh, you know, elaborate study of of how things are supposed to be. No, they experienced it. They wrote it down and they looked in the Bible and said, "Hey, does this make any sense?" They looked through the Bible like, "Yeah, it does." Okay, well, then here we go. That was their experience. That was my experience. Not his experience. That guy I'm talking about. Okay, well, whatever. So he's telling me all about it. What do you think? Still think the same thing. Yep. Still do. I still do. After all these years, still think the same thing. And I've heard all, every everybody telling me this or telling me that or well, this is what you know, this what whatever. I don't care. I'm sitting in the chair here. I got this not fancy microphone in front of me, and that's what I think. That's it. All right. You don't think that? Whatever. And so Samuel said to Saul, all right, this is what's going to happen to you. Holy Spirit's just going to break out on you. Holy Spirit is just going to rush on you. The Holy Spirit's going to leap on you. The Holy Spirit's going to overpower you. That's what he tells him. And you're going to be a different person. <coughs> and he begins to give him some, for instance, here. He says, You're going to start to prophesy. You're going to start to prophesy. And the way that he uses that word is that what he's telling him, he says, you're going to begin to break forth in praises. And what that means is, not only are you going to praise, not only are you going to sing and praise God and do those kind of things, which is how we normally think about praising, but also included in that was that he would be composing songs, singing and playing them. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit busting out on him was going to be. Leaping on him, rushing on him, and overpowering him. You know I never wrote a song before I was filled with the Holy Spirit with power? Ever? 
<coughs> ever. And all of a sudden, I did. Like that. You know, like in here. Like that. Where I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd write a song. Or I'd be at a, uh, we'd all be at a leadership retreat and right before I'd go to sleep, I'd write a song. I have songs that are in my phone that are still there that I haven't given to anybody to put the music or anything. And every now and then it'll just happen where I'll be praying or I'll be speaking in tongues or I'll be laying in bed or whatever I'm doing and boom, something will come and it'll just come at once. And I'm not sitting there trying to figure it out like, all right, there's five syllables and four and three and it just all comes there. Why? Because you will prophesy. You will be a different person. You will prophesy. And you will break forth in praises. You'll compose songs. You'll sing. You'll play. You're going to sing a new song. Yeah, you will. Do you have any expectation of that? You should. You should. Let it change your life. You're going to, you're going to speak truth. You're going to speak truth. That, that's part of prophecy. That's part of speaking for God. That's part of, of speaking out what God has for people is you're speaking truth because the truth will set people free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so you're going to set people at liberty when you prophesy in their life and you tell them the truth. Not only that, you're going to begin to speak to the future. Who speaks to the future? Well, prophets do. Prophets see things that they see things that, that nobody else sees. They know things are going to happen that nobody else knows is going to happen. That's how it works. That's how it really works. And that's what God has for us as His people because He's going to make us into new people. We're going to be a new person. We're going to become something. We're going to come into existence as a new person. That's what the Holy Spirit and power does to us. That's what it should do to us. So I want to take a, a few minutes tonight, and I really just want to pray for us, and I want you to pray, and and just ask God, just say, God, come on me. I pray for the Holy Spirit and power tonight. Not just the Holy Spirit. Not just rest on me. Not just pass by and breathe on me. But I really want the Holy Spirit tonight to leap on me. Leap on you. I want the Holy Spirit tonight to overpower me. I want the Holy Spirit tonight to, to rush on me. You're really going to ask the Holy Spirit to overpower you? You should. Don't be scaredy. You're scared, right? You're scared. That's why you don't experience this the way you should. You're scared. Because you're a control freak. You're scared because you don't want to let go. You're scared because, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, right. Of course not. Of course not. Holy Spirit, he he's not he's not gonna he's not gonna force anything. Not really. But man, you can invite him. You can invite him. Leap on me, overpower me. Rush on me. Come in power, Holy Spirit. Come in power, Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit with power. I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with power. I want to be uh, just overcome with the Holy Spirit and with power. I want to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. I want to be a different person. I want to be different than I was yesterday. I, I want to come into existence, into a new existence, the existence you have for me, God.
I want to prophesy. I want to break forth. I want your praises, God. I want your songs. I want to compose and sing and play songs. I want to sing a new song tonight, God. I want to speak your truth. I want to speak to the future. I want to have enough guts to speak into the future. I want to have enough guts to speak into somebody's life to a word of truth. To see them change. See them set free in the name of Jesus. I want that. So Holy Spirit, come on. Come on us. Come on us. You invite Him. You invite Him. Come on me. Come on me in power. Anoint me in power. Rush on me in power. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let that power flow. Let that power flow. Let Him do a new thing. You let go. Let Him have His way. Let Him have His way. Begin to practice that right here, right now. Holy Spirit, just have Your way. Do what You want to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But I can't sing. You can't? Bet you can. Break out with power, God. Like a fire that can't be contained. Break out, God. Break out, God. In me, through me, around me, God. Jesus. Jesus. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. God, I pray a release in us as a body of believers. I pray a release in us as a church. I pray a release in us as a people. And I just ask you, God, that you would break forth you would break forth in the midst of this congregation. You would break forth in the midst of this people, God. I just pray for more. I pray more of your Holy Spirit. I pray more of your power. I pray, Lord God, in the midst of worship. I pray, God, in the midst of the teaching, the preaching of your word. I pray, God, prophecy in the name of Jesus. I pray tongues, interpretation of tongues. God, I pray a new song to be sung. Break forth, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just pray we'd be some new people. I pray we'd be some new people. Different people. New people, God. And we'd be a different person. Give you thanks. Give you thanks. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, 
So musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. No, see, a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we we homies. Yeah. 